All right, Scott. All right, listeners. I am excited to welcome you to this Bible journey through the book of Revelation. This is the sixth podcast study. And I have to say, I really do hope that this has inspired others to chase and dig deeper. But selfishly, the exciting thing for me is being able to study and share my thoughts about Yahweh and his amazing story. As we learned last time, we give glory to the God that we love when we have a good opinion of him. And that is what I hope to do here. As always, this is Brad. And this is Scott. And this is Not About Us. Now I pray and I hope that today's study will continue that good opinion of Yahweh that we started last time, because this is all about Him, and I want this study to give glory to Him. So, Scott, would you please help us do that with the opening prayer and the invitation to the Spirit? Absolutely. Yahweh God, we just thank you and praise you. We glorify your name, Yahweh. We just want to lift you up and tell you that you are loved, you are invited, and just ask you to to indwell this place, this podcast, and wherever the listeners are listening to this right now. Just be there with them in, in their time and their location. We know time is meaningless for you, and right now as we record this, you are there with them as they listen to this. Hallelujah. And Yahweh, we just ask... For forgiveness, for for any error, any slight, any sin of ours, we just we just want to lay it before your cross and let your blood sacrifice take care of it, not in our own power, but in yours. We just want to offer that up to you. May we be clean going into this, and as we forgive those who have slighted us today, let that not be a deterrent. To, to the Word of God going out today in any way. And, and I invite the listeners to, to follow along in this. Just ask God for forgiveness as you forgive whoever's hurt you today so that you might receive from Yahweh what He's got for you today through the words that uh, Brad is going to bring to you. Amen. Scott. I really do appreciate you for helping us get the Spirit in here, but I'm also really excited by that prayer. Some of the stuff you just talked about will kind of be a theme of some of the stuff I talk about today. Well, cool. So, wow, way to get us started. I was not aware. I'm just, <laughs> just going. Now, I just want to take a quick moment here to remind everyone that what we do talk about today is skewed towards the things that interest me and the things that caught my attention. But I do have a genuine hope that there may be enough actual truth from the Spirit that it will help others with their studies. As always, it is okay if we have different interpretations of what is going on. My hope is that I won't be set on one idea, and I hope that my that everyone listening will be open to the idea that their interpretation may just be one of many possible truths. Today, we are getting into chapter 1, verse 7. I found a lot of things that I want to unpack with just this one verse. 
So I'm going no further than that. All right, now I'm waiting. <laughs> now, I am really excited for this. The picture that has been painted for me in my head for this verse is beyond gorgeous. It's amazing, it's powerful, and it's the conclusion of a hope and a promise that is mentioned all throughout the Bible. If you are with Christ, this is an awesome event, but perhaps terrifying if you're not. I wish mere words alone could explain to you what the painting in my head looks like after reading this verse. But even then, my imagination will still pell in comparison. Let's read the verse. Revelation chapter 1, 7. Behold, he cometh with the clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him. And all kindreds of the earth shall well because of him. Even so. Amen. Before, yeah. Uh, as you said at the beginning, the, the, the marvelous picture being painted here, before you say anything else, I just wanted to chime in and say you're right. It's just this, this verse alone just speaks to me of, uh, there, there's such richness and depth in here. So I just wanted to, speak in agreement to that statement before I hear what what you're going to bring out where this touched you. Yeah, there's a splendor. There's a grandeur. It starts out with, Behold. To me, this is no small thing. To me, this is pretty major. Behold is a bold word to start with. It demands your attention, and it promises something good to come. I looked into the word, and it probably does mean what you would think it does. But if you are interested in looking more into it, it's Strong's Concordance 2400. Pretty sure it's pronounced id-o, id-o. The definition is, look, behold. Its usage, see, lo, behold, look. Something I saw interesting about this, though, is behold, which especially calls attention to what follows from it. Other words that could be used here include see, lo, and look. In fact, one of my preferred translations, the Institute for Scripture Research version, the ISR, says see, which makes sense for what it says shortly afterwards, that all eyes shall see him. Same word, different idea. See to draw your attention and see to explain that you will see the event with your actual eyes. I'm going to get more into that in a few moments, but right now, I personally like behold, because it does seem a little more commanding. Behold, he is coming. Behold, the king is coming. Behold, the savior is coming. But any way we look at it, the word used is not as important as, as what it needs to do. It just needs to explain that the statement that follows is important and we should pay attention. I was going to say, I'm, I'm in agreement with you that uh, behold has more weight for me, but I, I can see that's, that's a personal thing. Absolutely. Uh, each person's different, but yet behold to me has kind of a majestic, old-fashioned knights of the round table. Behold, I'm, you know, I don't know. I suppose anything that kind of gets into the old English just feels a little more, I don't, I don't know, regal, royal. Important, yeah. you know, Shakespearean. I don't know. Regal, royal. We're talking about the king. Yeah, you, 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 
<laughs> yeah, no, I, I see that. Um, but of course, once again, this is all stuff that's skewed towards me. Yeah, personally, I like Behold. So the word just needs to let you know, hey, what's coming next is important. Pay attention. And the statement that follows is important. To me personally, one of the most important passages in the Bible, a passage that I celebrate. And that could just be because where I am in my relationship journey with God. But I do want to meet him face to face. I want his voice in my ears and I want his face in my sight. I want to stand or let's be honest, most likely fall down in awe and amazement when I feel the power just coming off of him. What I'm trying to say is I can't wait. So I read this passage as behold, my friend is coming. Behold, my love is coming. Behold. So that's why I say this is one of the most important passages in the Bible to me. So that would be kind of like we've spoken about it in other podcasts when the, um, the bridegroom proposes and the bride says yes. He then goes and builds a house. When he's done on his return, he sends messengers out ahead of him to shout that he's coming. Is that kind of your, behold, here he comes. It's kind of like, John in this verse is kind of like the messenger announcing the the bridegroom is coming, and that's how you're seeing it. It's like, I can't wait yes. for him. Oh, yes, it's happening. Yes, exactly. I want him here with me, you know? But let's get into it. <laughs> let's, look at, uh, let's look at the word cometh. It's Strong's Concordance 2064. Urkamahi. It means to come and go. Usage, I come, I go. Some of the other possible ways it's been translated, arrive, brought, came, come, comes, entered, expected, falls, give, go, going, lighting, turned, and went. So the word here can mean to come or go in a great variety of applications, literally and figuratively. It is another word that has a lot of movement to it. Come, coming, entered, fall, falls, give, turned. But what I thought was interesting was that lighting was here, which kind of also makes me think of like lightning, which then made me think of Matthew 24, 27. Jesus says, the appearing of the Son of Man will burst forth with a brightness of a lightning strike that shines from one end of the sky to the other, illuminating the earth. Lightning comes and goes, but it is brilliant when it does. It is bright and powerful, and it comes with a boom. I don't know about any of you, but this was a comparison I made of what happened the first time Christ came to us. He came, and he was here for a brief time, but it was the most brilliant and powerful event in our history. Also, think of all the booms that happened because of it. Christianity was born. Boom. Death was defeated. Boom. So many wonderful things from this event. And of course, the Holy Spirit came to comfort us. Boom. That's a great analogy, because the boom follows. It always, it's always an effect of the lightning strike. I, I, I like that picture. Yeah, I, I kind of think of it as a prophecy when it's fulfilled. Usually you figure it out after the fact. And it's impressive. It's a boom. But at the time, they don't necessarily realize prophecy is being fulfilled in this moment. It's always the after effect. Now, after the crucifixion, there was an earthquake and it went dark. 
Lightning kind of does the same thing. Brilliant flash, it lights up a night sky, and then dark again. And right now in the world around us, things feel pretty dark. I would wonder if in the spiritual realm it's even darker. And as we know, people love the dark. But someday soon, the brilliant flash will come again. And this time, it will stay. And the dark will have no place to hide. Now, let's look more into this word, cometh. One of the first possible definitions of it is cometh, of persons. Universally, to come from one place into another. And used both of a person's arriving and of those returning. To appear, make one's appearance, come before the public. Cometh, to come from one place into another, like the throne room of God to us. To appear, make one's appearance, come before the public. Oh, when he appears, every eye is just going to see him. Imagine the idea of coming before the public. The whole world is his public, and he will come before us in some way that every eye will see him. I have a thought about that to share in a moment when we get to the words I and see. But also, I just think this reinforces the idea that he is returning. Possible for cometh, uh, cometh of time in a future sense. Will come in time. Cometh in time? In God's timing because his timing will be perfect. Also, we have to remember when people scoff as to why he has not returned yet, it's for them. It's a mercy for any unsaved soul because God does not want any to perish. Jesus is patiently waiting to come back because he is giving humanity as much time as possible to choose and follow him. Jesus wants as many people as possible to repent and return to heaven with him. We read in 2 Peter 3, 8 through 9, this is the Passion Translation, So, dear friends, don't let this one thing escape your notice. A single day counts like a thousand years to the Lord Yahweh, and a thousand years counts as one day. This means that contrary to man's perspective, the Lord is not late with his promise to return, as some measure lateness, but rather his delay simply reveals his loving patience towards you, because he does not want any to perish but all to come to repentance. Yeah, imagine, I know, I, I'm with you on that. Imagine if God had said, if Jesus had returned, or Jesus had come to earth the first time, been resurrected, rose up to heaven, sent the Holy Spirit, and after about one year, just said, all right, it's time, coming back, I'm ending this now. How many souls throughout history would never exist would not how it's his love that keeps this going as long as it does he wants everyone to be his he wants you know and think about the stories we hear about someone who's who's been lost been suffering been hurting been hurting others given into sin in some way whatever every story's different but and then that person finds jesus that person finds love that person comes to a life where they give themselves to him and and are a tremendous blessing to others and suddenly everyone loves them because of of who they are and what they become and imagine Jesus coming you know 
five years before that event, before that person changed, and now they're lost to hell forever. It's just, it's his loving kindness. It's his patience. It's his desire for everyone to be his that keeps him from coming right now. We can't lose sight of that. For me personally, if he came before I was about 25, I would not have been saved. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a really sombering thought, but then an awesome thought because he is merciful. The other thing in this passage that I included was, so dear friends, don't let this one thing escape your notice. A single day counts like a thousand years to the Lord Yahweh, and a thousand years counts as one day. So this is just one possible understanding of how God's timing works, but to him, that means it's only been like two days. Mm-hmm. To us, it's been almost 2,000 years, or yeah, yeah, almost 2,000 years, but to him, it's been basically just about two days. You know, that's one way of, of looking at it. So when scoffers are saying, where is your Lord? Why has this not happened? Well, it's for you. Mm-hmm. It's to give you the time that hopefully you'll understand and hopefully you'll come to him. Hopefully you'll repent. Hopefully you'll trust in Jesus. Um, cometh also means of things and events. So of the advent of a natural event, of the rain coming down, So the rain cometh, basically. Cometh refers to things and events. So when he comes, it is a promise of fulfilling the greatest event of all existence. And as I see it, when he cometh, he is completing the greatest love story of all time. Jesus said himself in John 14, 18 through 21, going back to the ISR translation, I shall not leave you orphans. I am coming to you. Yet a little while, and the world no longer sees me, but you shall see me, because I live, and you shall live. In that day, you shall know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who possesses my commands and guards them, it is he who loves me, and he who loves me shall be loved by my Father and I shall love him and manifest myself to him. When I say this is the greatest love story of all time, I mean it. Imagine, Scott, you too, imagine being separated from the one person you love the most in this life, and then after a lifetime of time being reunited with them. The tears, the joy, the happiness, the expressions of love that would come out, it'd be overwhelming. This kind of what I imagine, uh, like, following world war ii and things like that when when people were coming home just the 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 jubilation not just on a national or global scale the war's over but on a personal scale the one i love is coming home for for so many people yeah yeah this is how i'm feeling right now this is where i'm at in my relationship i know the promise that i will be reunited with god And I am waiting a lifetime's worth of time to be reunited. I'm confident there will be tears. There will be tears of joy and there will be love. All I can say is, I personally want him here. Hurry, Lord Jesus, hurry. So the next thing I wanted to look into was the words with and clouds. Before I do that, real quick though, Acts 1, 9 through 11 tells us that Jesus will return 
the same way he was taken into heaven, and Revelation will confirm this soon. Acts 1, 9 through 11, back to the Passion Translation. Right after he spoke those words, the disciples saw Jesus lifted into the sky and disappear in a cloud. As they stared into the sky, watching Jesus ascend, two men in white robes suddenly appeared beside them. They told the startled disciples, Galileans, why are you staring up into the sky? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but he will come back the same way that you saw him ascend. To me, when I think about this, I think, how sweet. The disciples loved Jesus and they were reassured that all would be well. They will see Jesus again, but it also shows he will return the same way he ascended to heaven. He will come back to them and to us through the clouds. It's interesting to me that we just learned that the word cometh can also mean go and went. Interesting because he is cometh back the same way he went. Acts tells us he left in the clouds and Revelation confirms that he will come back to us from the clouds in verse 7. But there is more to this. Let's look into the word with. With is Strong's Concordance 33:26. Meta. Definition, with, among, after. Usage, in company with. Behind, beyond, after, of place, after, of time. With is actually a fascinating word to look up. For such a small word, there's a lot that could be unpacked. I recommend if anyone listening has a concordance to give it a look, but for today's study, I just want to mention two things and that is the usage in company with, which is interesting when placed with clouds, and also behind and beyond, which interested me, uh, and I'm going to get to in just a moment. Let's jump to clouds. Clouds is Strong's Concordance 3507. Nef L-A. Nef L-A. Definition is a cloud. <laughs> Very simple. But, wait, wait, wait. I'm, I'm confused. <laughs> Could you repeat that? Yeah, yes. Cloud <laughs> means cloud. Okay. All right. I got it now. Got it. Okay. But let's look at the origin of the word. Strong's Concordance 3509. Nephos. This one is a mass of clouds. A cloud. Also, a dense crowd. A multitude. Great company. Cloud has the usage of a dense crowd, a multitude, and great company. Makes sense when you look at a cloudy day. Clouds mix and move and interchange. They can be dense, and sometimes my imagination shows me all sorts of things in the clouds. But let's put it with the word with, using some of the common usages of the word, and you get, he is coming in company with a great multitude. Or, he is coming with a dense crowd, or he is just coming with a great company. So I'm wondering, is John already here in the introduction teasing Jesus returning with the angels and the saints, the armies of heaven? It's interesting to me. Okay, I hope you're all bearing with me here. There's a lot that I want to unpack in this one, but right now, right here, I want to stop for a moment. Where we are, I want to try to paint a picture. I'm going to try to paint that picture in my head. 
Clouds come rolling in and fill the sky. Then a crack in the sky as the clouds part, and then it gets brighter and brighter. As bright as a lightning strike that lights up the sky from one end to the other end. Jesus is revealed at the head of a great multitude, a heavenly army that fills the sky. Jesus is riding in on a white horse, as John says in Revelation 19.11. Then I saw heaven open, and suddenly a white horse appeared. The name of the one riding it was Faithful and True, and with pure righteousness he judges and rides to battle. Oh, whoa! Whoa! It's going to be glorious, guys. More glorious than I can even imagine. Here are some other verses I'm hoping that will help paint this picture for you. The first one is from Daniel. Now, I highly recommend reading Daniel in conjunction with Revelation, as there are parts that can help define each other. This one is Daniel 7, 13 through 14. And if it matters, I'm back to my ISR translation. I was looking in the night visions and saw one like the son of Adam, coming with the clouds of the heavens. And he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And to him was given rulership and preciousness and a reign, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His rule is an everlasting rule which shall not pass away, and his reign that which shall not be destroyed. Next verse is from First Thessalonians, and I love the image portrayed here. Such hope and joy totally worth celebrating this. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 18, because the master himself shall come down from heaven with a shout, with the voice of a chief messenger, and with the trumpet of Elohim, and the dead in Messiah shall rise first. Then we, the living who are left over, shall be caught away together with them in the clouds to meet the master in the air. And so we shall always be with the master. So then, Encourage one another with these words. I hope this study is encouraging to our listeners. I hope everyone understands that my motive is to excite and to encourage, just like this verse stated. Here's another verse showing what will happen before and after. This one's Matthew 24, 29-31. And immediately after the distress of those days, the sun shall be darkened and the moon shall not give its light, and the stars shall fall from the heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken, and the sign of the Son of Adam shall appear in the heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth shall mourn, and they shall see the Son of Adam coming on the clouds of the heaven with power and much esteem. And he shall send his messengers with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his chosen ones from the four winds from one end of heavens to the other. In Matthew 16, 27, Jesus himself tells us, It has been decreed that I, the Son of Man, will one day return with my messengers and in the splendor and majesty of my Father. And then I will reward each person according to what they have done. What else can I say but, wow, I'm just amazed by the thoughts of this and I can't wait. So I look to the clouds and I daydream about it. Uh, you're not the only one. I hope these verses I have chosen have helped 
paint that picture a little bit better for you. But something interesting here, I mentioned a little bit ago that one of the possible usages for with, for the word with, was also behind. It says that Jesus will be at the head of a great company, and that's true. So, Brad, why are you now mentioning with can mean behind? Because I have a theory. All right, go for it. (laughs) I have a theory that both of the usages are accurate. Jesus at the head of a great multitude, and Yahweh, God the Father, has his back. Jesus comes because of the majesty of God the Father. The God in the front and the God in the back. All of this is possible because of the power of God. He is not just the shield you hold in front of you. He protects you from all sides. Deuteronomy 31.8 And it is Yahweh who is going before you. He himself is with you. He does not fail you nor forsake you. Do not fear nor be discouraged. Psalms 3, 3. But in the depths of my heart, I truly know that you, Yahweh, have become my shield. You take me and surround me with yourself. Your glory covers me continually. You lift high my head when I bow low in shame. I have cried out to you, Yahweh, from your holy presence. You send me a father's help. So this is just my own personal thoughts and conclusions on this, but it makes me think of the Chris Tomlin song, Whom Shall I Fear? Some of the lyrics state, You hear me when I call. You are my morning song. Through darkness fills the night. It cannot hide the light. Whom shall I fear? You crush the enemy underneath my feet. You are my sword and shield. Through troubles linger still. Whom shall I fear? I know who goes before me. I know who stands behind. The God of angel armies is always by my side. The one who reigns forever, he is a friend of mine. The God of angel armies is always by my side. I think that song kind of shows you right there front of you, behind, your side. I love that song. It gets me pumped when I have a task that I don't necessarily want to do or might be nervous about. It's a simple reminder that God is with me and surrounds me. And I really like the lines that he goes before me and he stands behind me. Okay, now we know where to look for his coming. Let's look at the next part of the verse. And every eye shall see him. I am not going too deeply into the word and, but I do still think it's worth noting that and means also. So we have unpacked so much the first part of this verse that it is awesome and glorious, but the little word and here promises a continuation of glorious and amazing things. Behold, he is coming and you're going to get to see it. And you're going to get to see it. Now this is a cool thought to me. Let's look at the word every. It's Strong's Concordance 3956. And it's a pass. Pass, I think. Its definition is all, every. Its usage is all, the whole, every kind of. It means all in the sense of each, every part that applies. The emphasis is on the total picture then is on one piece at a time. It focuses on the parts making up the whole, viewing the whole in terms of individual parts. 
Okay, so the emphasis is on whole total picture, and then it is on each piece all at a time. To me, first of all, just simply, this leaves no doubt that every single person will see this event, and every single person will then be focused on it, no matter where in the world you are. At first, we all see the event because it's beyond comprehension. The event is big and loud, and it can't be missed, and then the emphasis changes to each of us. We each have a piece of this. View the whole event in terms of us as individual parts. I gotta say, I don't have any idea where I'm going with that. I just know there's something to it. I often feel that way. It's like, there's, wow, this is amazing. This is, this is so intense. There's, there's something here. I don't know what it is, but I can tell there's something here. Yeah, yeah. It's gonna, it's gonna take someone smarter than me to figure out what I'm trying to say here. But the big event happens then the emphasis changes back to us as all the individual pieces that are witnessing the event, but then the focus shifts back to the event. So we have a piece of it. Maybe that's what's going to be talked about here in a moment. So this is, I'm going off subject a little bit here. These are more just my personal thoughts, but I am sure that God is going to use a supernatural means to accomplish the feat that all eyes can see this event. I agree. I've heard a lot of people say like this, this refers to the fact that in this day and age, we have satellites and television and things like that. And, and every eye shall see. And, and what they'll say is, oh, it doesn't literally mean every eye. It just means every nation, every place, every people group uh, will see it. So like maybe not every single person in China, but there will be people in China who see it. Not every single person in South Africa, but there will be people. I disagree. I disagree. I think I'm with you. I think this is every single eye. Well, this is supernatural. As you've mentioned it in the Feast of the Lords and some other and some other areas, the first time he came, it was an undercover mission. Mm-hmm. This time, it's not. Right. It's bold. It's powerful. I'm here. Mm-hmm. And so, to me, I won't limit God, and also. If you can, go to an empty field and look from one, from one end to the other end. That by itself is impressive, just what you can see. Now imagine a lightning bolt coming down and stretching from one end that you can see to the other end that you can see. Just in that little bit of area, many people would be able to see that. Mm-hmm. Now imagine a lightning bolt going all the way around the earth and stretching out. Because what does lightning bolts do? It, it, it breaches off. It goes in multiple directions. It can. So just imagine a lightning bolt that goes around the whole earth. Just, just an interesting thought. It might help your imaginations process what I'm trying to say here. But I believe it'll be a supernatural event. The sky is going to crack, guys. It, the, the the barriers that separate us now, we're going to see them. We're, they're not going to be there anymore. We're going to be able to see everything that's going on, at least in my imagination. Now, Scott, I find it funny what you just said because some of my notes that I have here, today, something can be posted on the internet mm-hmm. and millions of people can see it. An event happening live can be viewed live by millions no matter where they are 
but we still haven't developed to a point where every single person in the world could witness a single event. But it's still fascinating to think that God can do it. Yeah. I imagine African tribesmen out in the jungle with no technology or, or someone out, you know, in the Sahara Desert on his camel or, you know, just, or, or, or someone in America out camping in the woods you know, with no TV, no phone, no nothing, just sitting by a campfire. These people are also going to witness this, that no matter where you are, no matter what your situation, this is going to be witnessed by every eye. And I think every eye at the exact same time, mm-hmm. the exact same moment. So, That's my belief too. But now this, this, maybe this is a little off subject, but the thought of what if humanity had figured out a way that every eye, every person could see some event? If we developed a power or a technology, what would happen? It would be used for nefarious purposes. Of course. Imagine being flooded, no matter if you wanted to see them or not, but imagine being flooded with advertisements and propaganda, and you'd have no choice whether you wanted to see it or not. That was just an interesting thought that popped in my head. And by interesting, I mean terrifying. (laughs) A terrifying thought that no matter when, how, why, a commercial might have to be viewed. Because you know that's what we would do with it. Not even a commercial. I suppose in the sense that it's propaganda for something. But yeah, just any idea. They could just, uh, yeah, that's terrifying. Because they could just enforce their will wherever you are at any moment. Yeah, absolutely. No, it it was a thought that came to me and and yeah, it kind of terrified me. Now, I also found it interesting when researching this verse that the church does not like to teach this verse or pretty much any of Revelation really for multiple reasons. One of the reasons the church in the early 1900s did not like to teach Revelation because it was too difficult to believe that every person in the world could witness a single event at the same time. Part of me wonders if they would change their minds if they knew about the invention of satellites. But on that same note, that started me down a different path. I googled, why didn't the church teach Revelation? And I was surprised by some of the answers. One was a question from a frustrated pastor. That's what he called himself. It's like a Dear Abby thing. He says, sign frustrated pastor. And he was wanting to know if he could just not teach Revelation because it was too complicated to understand. Too complicated, so I just don't want to do it. Now, that kind of annoyed me at first, but then I was encouraged because the reason he was asking was because his church members, his congregation, kept asking him and bugging him because they wanted to know more about Revelation. And I'm actually seeing a lot of this lately. People are wanting to know more, and I think that's awesome. Another Google search result I found had a list of possible reasons why the church is not teaching Revelation, including, one, some churches see it as controversial and they don't want to ruffle feathers, so they stay away from it. Two, too many ideas out there on how people interpret the symbolism in Revelation leads some pastors to just stay away, putting it in the too hard basket. Three, the book of Revelation. To be taught accurately requires a good understanding of the whole Bible, especially the Old Testament, and some don't want to put the effort into understanding what it is saying. Four, 
a theme of Revelation that, that God will soon punish the world and sin doesn't sound all that positive to some churches who prefer to focus on nicer thoughts as they establish their own little kingdoms on earth. Five, some of the absolute statements over the years from those that are completely sure exactly when Jesus is returning has led to prophecy and end times in general being laughed at in some circles, and so some pastors just stay clear of it. Six, back in the 70s with the Jesus People uh, revival, end times played a great part and people longed for it and spoke of Jesus' return. I guess with all the excitement that it was going to happen soon, and then it didn't, many people started to lose heart and tired in their waiting and longing. And seven, the church in the West in general is more focused on having your best life here and now. You know, I have seen, um, speaking of some of those reasons, I've spoken with people and witnessed personally, and people have flat out told me that they have, they, they were studying end times and, and Jesus' return for a while, and exactly some of the things you said, they heard prophecy after prophecy that didn't come true. And people making statements that were flat out wrong. And they just got tired and sick of it. And so they just given up looking. And I compare it to a, I compare it to an abusive relationship in the sense that if you, let's say you're, a woman who as you're growing up you're abused by your father and you're sexually abused by an uncle or a grandparent and you get to high school and you're bullied and beaten up by by boys at your school and your first uh, romantic relationship you get raped and you go on you can get to a point where you just say, no, look, I'm tired. I'm done with men. Even though on a logical level, intellectually, you can say, no, there are good men out there. There, you know, not all men are horrible. I, I understand that on an emotional level, you still react that way. If, uh, if a man walks in the door, smiles and holds out his hand, you just, you shy away. You say, I, I don't want to get to know you. Uh, nope, it's, it's not worth it you're going to hurt me too. And, and you just react like that to everyone. And I think a lot of people are in that boat as far as end times comes. They, it's like they've been hurt too badly by too many people. I'm just done. On the intellectual level, they know they're wrong. They know the word of God says, I am coming back. They know it says different elements about it. But on an emotional level, it's like I've given too much. I've been hurt too many times. The blood from hitting my head against the wall is dripping into my eyes. I'm tired of it. I'm walking away. Yeah. Yeah. I know that's not every reason. You mentioned several other reasons. But when you mentioned that one, I just, I've had personal experience dealing with these people. Just, no, I'm done. I'm done. I'm, I'm tired of it. Yeah, I can see that. Now, I hope people, when I was reading those, was picking up on the annoyance in my voice. People choose to ignore Revelation because it's too difficult to teach or because it doesn't happen the way they want it to. They don't read Revelation because this life is where our hope is. Listeners, I am sorry. This is just one thing that just annoyed me. It irritated me. 
I can't believe that because I have hope in my death. Any of our listeners should know this. I mention it frequently. I have hope in my death because I know that Jesus conquered death in the grave and he's coming back. So my true desire here is that I hope podcast studies like this and other studies that you can find online of Revelation are encouraging you and blessing you. I am a nobody. I have no formal education. I have no degree. But with God's helping hand laying ideas on my heart, I'm able to look into this difficult book and find some hidden truths. Anybody can do it. So if you are part of a church not teaching this, I would encourage you to do your own study. I want you to be blessed, just as Revelation says it will do, by reading and keeping the information written inside. I won't go too much more into this, but Revelation is important. It can be helpful in so many ways. And I think God gave us imaginations so we could better understand how he works and how to interpret his word. Remember when you were a kid? Your imagination showed you so much more to this world than what was in front of you. Nothing is impossible to God. Even the things that boggle are mere human brains. And it concerns me that this important lesson of truth from Scripture is being ignored because we mere humans could not figure out how the event could happen. We need to stop limiting God and remember that He is able and He is capable of more than us. If we can reach millions, then God can reach every single person. Truth. He is awesome. Okay. Amen. Okay. Sorry if I get preachy sometimes, but that annoyed me. <laughs> and I do think I do think sometimes the Spirit does say, Brad, you need to preach this. I, Don't apologize. Preach it. That's right. But let's get back. Let's get back. Anyway, I wanted to look into the word I. It's Strong's Concordance 3788. Ophthalmos. Definition, the I. Usage, the I. Figuratively, the mind's eye. Some translations, sorry, some uses of the word eyes, gaze, sight. The word used here is, is eye, gaze, sight. And in some cases, it can mean to look enviously onto something. Penguins. <laughs> yes, penguins. I love their suits. <laughs> now, perhaps some people will be looking at the revelation event with envious eyes. When Jesus comes to claim those that are his, could you imagine the dread of being left behind? I'm not going to go too much into that yet, but I think it's important that we are sharing the gospel truth so unsaved souls won't have to be envious of this event. Now, the other thing that stands out to me is that figuratively, the word here means the mind's eye. So I don't know the answer for this for sure. This is another one of those things I'm trying to figure out, but I think this might be a clue. Already inside our minds, do we instinctively know to look towards the sky for our Savior? Is this part of how every eye shall see him through the mind? I am going to try and dig deeper here. Let's look at the next word of interest to me. Next word is C. The word is Strong's Concordance 3700 Optan Amahi. The definition is to appear. Usage, I appear. I appear. Am seen by, let myself be seen. Also means become seen. So the biggest thing I find of interest with this word is the usage, I appear and let myself be seen. God is with us always, and he is close to us always, right now. 
Right now he's close to you. Right now he's close to me. Right now he's close to Scott. Right now we don't see him with our physical eyes. Right now we don't see him with our physical eyes because he is invisible to those senses. It is actually a great mercy that we, unperfected, sinful beings, cannot look upon the glory of God. However, at a time when he declares it, he will appear. And he will let himself be seen. So why is it that we can't see God? Are we able to see glimpses of him? I think so, but only because of my own personal experiences with God. And I think this verse helps show that too. God warns Moses in Exodus that no man can see him and live, but allows Moses to see a glimpse of him. The verse is Exodus 33, 20 through 23. But he said, you are unable to see my face, for no man does see me and live. And Yahweh said, See, there is a place with me, and you shall stand on the rock, and it shall be, while my esteem passes by, that I shall put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand while I pass by, then I shall take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. I think the question of why can't we see God gets asked a lot, so I looked into it a little even though I already have my own good idea. The first thing we need to remember is that we see through a glass darkly. We are not able to fully see God because his nature is different than ours. We have a sinful nature that convicts us. And his nature is pure and righteous. Judge. For us to lay eyes on a pure and righteous God would be our undoing due to our sinful nature. God is righteous, and sin cannot look upon a righteous state without being convicted. It is a mercy to us that God does not make himself visible to us until Jesus has fully worked out all of the sin and has perfected us. Like Moses in this Exodus verse, I do think it's possible to see glimpses of God. But due to that sinful nature and his pure, righteous nature, it is not yet possible for us to fully see him. I remember when I caught a glimpse of him myself. My baby was a, was a part of the encounter, and the thought came to me while I was doing my study here that she got a much longer glimpse of him than I did. Her glimpse was long enough that I watched her reaction for several seconds. My glimpse was a mere hundredth, a mere hundredth of a second. Now, this is all speculation to me, so please take it as that. But did she actually get a good look at him because she was a baby and yet doesn't know sin? I have no way of knowing right now for sure, but it was an interesting thought that came to me and something I thought I would share. And it's something that I'm going to be thinking about. But anyway. No, um, there's merit to that because Moses, God tells him, he says, no man can look upon my face and live. But Adam spoke with God face to face. And what's the difference? There was no sin. Right. Right, absolutely. But let's get back to my, my actual revelation study here. I'm sorry, guys. I'm a squirrel sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the origin of the word used for see is Strong's Concordance 3708, horaho, and it's to see, perceive, attend to. Usage, I see, look upon, experience, perceive, discern, beware. Now, properly, it's see, and it's often with a metaphorical meaning. To see with the mind. Perceive with inward spiritual perception. Now, 
I have discussed this word in a previous podcast, discussing verse 2 of this chapter. So I won't go too more in-depth here, but the word being used here again excites me because of what I discovered about seeing the Messiah with all of our minds, all of our soul, and all of our heart. Just as we should love him, we should see him in our mind, soul, and heart. And we are going to see him in our minds and inward with spiritual perception. Once again, this is just a belief that I have, but I think our souls have emotions as well. I think they can be grieved, and I think they can be joyful. How we act in the physical tells us how our souls are in the spiritual. And since they are on the spiritual plane of existence, our souls on the day of the Lord will be beyond joyful. I can't even explain it. If we are in Christ. Now, I don't know about you, Scott, but I can't wait to see him. Oh, I'm with you. My soul can't wait to be his perfected creation. No matter how he accomplishes the feat, I wait and pray for his coming. In the meantime, I understand I have a purpose to fulfill, but I know I also need to work on getting ready. I need to be ready for him coming back. And that's why I'm mentioning this here. If our listeners have not yet checked out Scott's awesome series of podcasts on the Feast of the Lord, I highly recommend you give them a listen. They will show how when Christ does return, he will fulfill the fall feasts, and that will give us some clues on how we can be better prepared. So now, as we continue on with this study, verse 7 states, And they also which pierced him. Remember earlier when I said and felt like a continuation of awesome things? Well, now it feels like it is loaded with responsibility and it feels a little heavy to me. Let me explain why. The phrase, they also which, is Strong's Concordance 3748. Hostis, which was interesting because it sounds kind of like hostile. Hostis. Whoever, anyone who, usage, whosoever, whichsoever, whatsoever. Some uh, translations of the word after, because, everyone who, one who, these, these matters which, this, whatever things, who, whoever, whomever. First possible meaning, whoever and everyone who. Second possible meaning, it refers to a single person or thing, but so that the regard but so that the regard is had to a general notion or class to which the individual person or things belongs, and thus it indicates quality. One who, such a one as, of such a nature that. Another possible, or another definition, akin to the last usage in that whereby it serves to give a reason, such as, equivalent to seeing that he, in so much as he, Okay, that was a lot, but here's what I'm seeing. The phrase means whoever and everyone who pierced him. It also refers to a single person who is of such a nature that they would pierce him. It also gives a reason by stating that in as a much as he pierced him. I think we need to take accountability here. Yes, our Savior is coming for us because he loves us, But what makes the love story even greater to me is that he loves us and we pierced him. I would also make the argument that it was the sin of all people that made the crucifixion necessary. I would make the argument that it was all of us that pierced him. I think this is part of the reason why all the nations will well or mourn 
And I'm going to get to that in a moment, but let us stay here with Pierce for a little bit. Most versions instead of, and they also who pierced him, say, and every eye shall see him, even they who pierced him. There is no and here. Makes it feel like it's just continuing from the last statement as opposed to these two statements are separated by the and. Every eye will see him, and they also who pierced him. The addition of and feels to me like a separation, but take that and out and it is one statement, at least to me. I think there are two things being stated here. One, that the Jews will see him and understand that he was of them and for them, but they rejected him, as John himself recorded in the Gospel of John 1.11. He came onto his own, and his own received him not. Not to mention the countless times that the Israelites in the Old Testament would be for God and then reject God. Now, we have to be careful when discussing this, and we need to be self-convicting because we have all done this too. God loves the Jewish people, and God loves us, and I know he wants to be reconciled to them and to us. I won't go into here, but I believe there is a veil over the Jewish people that makes it so they can't see Jesus as the Messiah. All of the evidence they need is in their scripture, but they are blind to it, or they choose to be blind to it. Now, don't think for one moment we are better than them because of this. We are capable of being just as blind, and many of us choose to be blind. Instead, we need to be sympathetic towards anyone who doesn't know who Jesus is and share the gospel truth. The second thing, even they that pierced him, means to me is that the actual piercing in the moment of his crucifixion was by a Roman. And I think that represents the rest of us. We are all guilty of putting Christ on that cross, and we are all guilty of piercing him. Let's look at the word pierced. Strong's Concordance 1574. Ek kenteho. And I apologize if I don't say those correctly. Uh, I'm doing the best I can uh, with the knowledge that I have. But the definition is to prick out, to pierce. Usage, I pierce through or deeply. To put out dig out, to dig through. So here we see the word doesn't just mean to pierce, but it feels a little more brutal when you look at it. To dig out, to dig through, to pierce through, or to pierce deeply. Think about that. We deeply pierced Jesus. We pierced him through. It is believed he was pierced to his heart. His heart was pierced for us, by us. Yet he says, forgive us, for we know not what we do. He says he loves us, and he's coming back to us to forgive us. It's time to think about this. Just a little critical thinking there. When I was looking at that word, it affected me, and I'm hoping it's affecting you too right now. But we can continue on to verse We can continue on into verse 7. Two, and all kindreds of the earth shall well because of him. First thing I see is there is that and again. It feels heavy again, but let's look into it. The word kindreds stood out to me. It's Strong's Concordance 5443. Fule, definition, a clan or tribe. Usage, a tribe or race of people. It's... A tribe, the descendants of a common ancestor. 
So it just basically means a tribe or a race and all the descendants of a common ancestor. My literal ISR translation states, and all the tribes of the earth shall mourn because of him. Tribes, again. All the tribes. This language is the same, which Jesus uses in Matthew 24, 30. And then the sign of the son of Adam shall appear in the heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth shall mourn, and they shall see the son of Adam coming on the clouds of the heaven with power and much esteem. The word tribes is commonly applied to the 12 tribes of Israel and thus used. It would describe the inhabitants of the Holy Land, but it may be used to denote nations and people in general as descended from a common ancestor. And the connection requires that it should be understood in these senses here, since it is said that every eye shall see him, that is all that dwell on the face of the earth. So tribes, kindred, family, nations, powers, whatever describer word you want to use, here all who dwell on the face of the earth is what is being referenced. Now I think I found something interesting with shall well. Strong's Concordance 2875. It's kopto, and it means to cut, to cut off, strike, usage, smite, strike. I beat my breast or head in lamination, lament, mourn, sometimes of persons who, whose loss is mourned. There's a lot there. This doesn't just mean crying and being upset. This isn't whining. This is tragedy. Cut to the heart, similar to how we pierce Jesus, maybe. So why are we lamenting? Why are we in such a tragic state on account of him? on account of our treatment of him, because it will be an event which will call the sins of, pe of the people to remembrance, and because they will be overwhelmed with the apprehension of the wrath to come, because it is time for judgment, and we are guilty. Every person who ever doubted Christ will now see with their own eyes, without any doubt, that he is here and he is judge. Our sins will be recognized, and it's too late. No more time to repent. No more time to get right with God. If you've waited until this point, then this is the most tragic loss you will ever know. This phrase, shall well, shall well, also means to cut off. Now I'm going figurative with this because I'm sure it means to cut like you are ripping something, but think about this. You are cut off from heaven at this point. You are ripped away and apart from heaven. Nothing would fill the earth with greater concern than the coming of the Son of God in the clouds of heaven. Nothing could produce so deep a universal alarm. So imagine now the same image I tried to paint for you earlier. Clouds come rolling in and fill the sky. Then a crack in the sky as the clouds part, and then it gets brighter and brighter, as bright as a lightning strike that lights up the sky from one end to the other end. Jesus is revealed at the head of a great multitude, a heavenly army that fills the sky. Jesus is riding in on a white horse, and it is too late. So yes, mourn the greatest loss of your life. Yes, beat your chest and head as you lament. I hope I am terrifying you right now, because I am terrified at the thought of it. I've told you before, fear can be a great motivator. Sometimes we have to look at the truth so we can be afraid and motivate ourselves to move. If you don't know your Savior, then now is the time to move before it is too late. Before it is too late. Okay, 
Let's finish up verse 7. After all of this, the verse ends with, Even so, amen. Even so is Strong's Concordance 3483. The definition is, yes, indeed, certainly. Usage, yes, certainly, even so. John ends this statement with excitement. Last time we learned that amen means so be it, or let this statement of truth be. It also means truth. So after all of this, John is saying, even so, let the statement of truth be. It feels like a double expression of truth as well. This could be stated, certainly, truth. Okay, so I just want to say before we end, thank you. Thank you for listening. And I really hope and pray you are in a relationship with Christ so that the Revelation event will be a blessing to you and not terrifying to you. So you can come into the ever and ever that we talked about last time. So with all of this being said, this is Brad. And this is Scott. And this has been not about us.